0: This is the last uh, of our uh, short series looking at the Trinity, and uh, as a result, uh, this evening's sermon is kind of um, uh, pulling some things together and looking over one or two aspects that we've seen before, and uh, we'll be looking at various uh, texts from Scripture. Um, But uh, kind of guiding our thoughts, we we find uh, the words of verse 3 for us, uh, Jesus' prayer Uh, to the Father, a very helpful one for us this evening. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And really, uh, the reason we've done this series on the Trinity is because it's been uh, 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 a journey in in looking to know God better, uh, to know God as he's revealed himself in the person of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This complex reality that we have um, clearly revealed in Scripture about who God is. And that is our uh, aim, is to know the the only true God, the God who has revealed Himself in His Word. And that's our pleasure, that's our uh, uh, joy, and uh, that is where we will be inspired ourselves to worship Him and to serve Him. Uh, the more that we know about him, the more that we understand how unique he is. And in a sense, the more we know him, the less we know him because there's so much to know. But nonetheless, we, we do seek to uh, understand and worship uh, this God who is revealed because that is, as uh, Jesus says here, um, eternal life. So I'd like us to look, just as we summarize it and bring it all together, God as a trinity uh, revealed in himself and also uh, what uh, that means in his relationship to us <coughs> as people. And we know that God has revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's only a couple of things I want to say about that this evening in terms of uh, in, in kind of concluding remarks. And the first is that we must remember and keep and bear in mind uh, that, that inevitably means mystery for us. You know, In Colossians 2.2 2, we're told that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I know that that is maybe a slightly different meaning of mystery there, but nonetheless it, it introduces us to that whole idea of mystery in the, na- in the uh, name and in nature and the character of God. That this is the gospel of the triune God. And that there is mystery in that knowledge. There's mystery in the character of God that words can't fully explain and that our minds can't comprehend. And it's good to remember that. And it's good to bear that in mind. That it is impossible, and we must remember, that it is impossible for us to conceive fully of such a being that we're struggling to understand and to grasp and to formulate exactly who God is because of the glory of his character and the uniqueness of uh, his revelation there is a time in in many ways where we stop we must stop talking and just believe that we just believe and we accept and we understand it i think that's Exactly the um, sentiment that Paul is trying to get across in his doxology in Romans 11, where he has explained in, in the previous chapters as much uh, uh, as he can, as has been revealed to him, of the nature of salvation and of the glory of the gospel. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. And he comes to that conclusion. And we also come to that conclusion this evening at the end of this series of looking at God. Isn't that we've had an A to Z of the character of God and, hey, we know it all now. But rather there's a sense of great mystery. There's a complexity within the Godhead that is beyond even our imagination. And yet that is the God we worship. And that is the God that we serve. We do Him a massive disservice if we seek to contain Him and if we seek to conform Him simply to our own logic or to our own reason, merely to argument and to apologetic and to persuasion. We need to retain the sense of the supernatural and the sense of the glory and the mystery of God in our lives. It's vitally important And the great temptation for us is to always have only a rational God, a God who is explicable at every degree and at every turn. We can't have that because He ceases then to be sovereign and He ceases to be God and He ceases to be this complex, glorious, triune God that we worship and serve. You will never serve a God that you can't worship and you will never worship a God If you fitted him into a box. If he is explicable. And if he is small. And if he is contained. And that is why we struggle to worship. Because he's small, not big. There's someone in the door. And we need to remember that. It is a lie of Satan for us to argue that we need all the answers about God before we can believe or before we can serve, or before we can worship. There must remain for us mystery in our understanding of God. And we need to recapture the science of mystery in our worship and in our lives. The spirit of the age is a know-it-all spirit. It's a a spirit that that in many ways says there there are no mysteries. But we need to retain a sense of the mystery of God. Because that is a mystery that is biblical and right. And without such mystery, we fail uh, and will fail to worship and adore uh, the living God. So God in Himself, the Trinity, does uh, drive us towards a sense of mystery and a sense of worship because of that. But the other thing I want to say about God, uh, the Trinity within uh, the Godhead uh, as a revelation of God speaks very powerfully about love. It does speak about mystery. But also speaks very powerfully about love. In 1 John 4 uh, verse 8 where if we are seeking to in the words of our own text from John 17 to know God, the only true God. We need to know Him as the God who is love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's the great foundational revelation of God that God is love. And the Trinity is, is a crucial to our understanding of that statement that God is love. And unless we see a triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can't begin to conceive of a God who is love in the way that He is revealed. We can't begin to understand who God is nor appreciate the love that He has Within Himself, in His essence and in His being, that He is love, a solitary God. And I'm going over ground that you know we've looked at over the last few weeks, so I, uh, it's worth repeating some of this stuff. But it's not a repeat sermon; it's new stuff. As well. that a solitary God is a God. A solitary God in an eternal existence is not a, a God worthy of worship. He's a monster. He's a horrible being. A solitary, lonely, uh, single God who has lived uh, only in His own company for eternity is a monster. But from everlasting to everlasting, the God of the Bible is revealed as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a relationship toward one another. Uniquely one, yet uniquely in relationship. Uniquely triune. And there's this sense in which he can be love. God is love. Because God the Father can love God the Son. And God the Father and the Son can love God the Spirit. Without any external expression of that love. It is fulfilling. It is pure. It is perfect. It is towards one another. It is glorifying. You know, he speaks in verse 5 of returning to taste that love. Father, glorify me in Your presence with the glory I had with You before the world began. This glorious relationship of pure and perfect and uh, lovely love so that there was fullness and completeness within God, within this triune love relationship that is difficult to just fully understand and put into words. But it's great, you know? So that that as we look at that, we remember that the source of everything in this universe, the source of life in this universe, the source of of, uh, everything that exists is a God who exists in an atmosphere of love. That is really important truth, that this world, this universe has been created and is sustained and upheld in your life and mine, and the lives of every single human being, whether they accept or reject God, is allowed to exist, and it's allowed to exist by this God who is love. And He has lived in eternity, outside of time, in this atmosphere, in this um, relationship of pure and peaceful and beautiful Perfect love within the Godhead. Within the Godhead, no tension, no doubt, no division, no backbiting, no hatred. Even God's wrath is just but for a moment. But His love is what He is in His essence. And it is the triune God, the trinity of God, that we, enables us to understand that. You see, He would be a strange, lonely Individual of it was only self-love. It's it's not only self-love. It is it is much more complex and much more glorious and much more outward-looking than that. It is love towards the other persons of the Godhead, which we go on to see is so glorious uh, in uh, its relationship with us. So, you know, in terms of the tr- Trinity we see mystery and we we remain a a worshipful people who understand mystery. Well, how can you understand mystery? That's maybe not the right way to say it. But who appreciate mystery and who who must keep a sense of mystery in our lives and in our worship. We mustn't know it all. We mustn't wag the finger at God and tell Him, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing things the way I want you to do them? with a sense of sovereign submission to Him, to His grace and to His goodness. And He is also a God, not only of mystery but of love. And we rejoice in that love because it's at the very core, the very kernel, the very nucleus of the universe, is this is this God. And it's the Trinity alone that allows us to understand, begin to understand that truth in our lives. So we see it. Has been so significant for God in Himself, but we also see it tremendously significant in His relationship to us in, uh, as human beings. We see that in His relationship to us as Creator and also as Saviour. See, and we, we remember we started our series looking at Genesis chapter one, where they have the hints of the Trinity of God. Uh, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness, in Genesis one twenty six. Let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. So as Creator, the triune God, we are reminded that uh, we are a planned people. Let us make man in our image. He has planned our creation. It is something uh, that reminds us that we are subjects of His divine reflection within the Godhead consultation, planning. We are part of his agreed blueprint. He discussed and uh, agreed upon the creation of humanity within the Godhead. We are at the very center of his discussive and planning uh, mind. Tremendously ennobling truth that our humanity in this godless and in this secular generation would tell us that we are a mistake or an afterthought or a random chance or an uh, evolved uh, part of uh, matter that uh, has no reason and no specific design uh, other than chance itself. Trinity reminds us that we are a planned people, that we are planned and uniquely created by God who uh, consulted within the Godhead about our creation, created to share in His love, to adore His mystery, and to belong to His family. We are planned by Him by the love of this great triune God. So not only are we planned, but we are also made in His image. We recognize that from uh, the same passages in Genesis. In our own image, in our own likeness, uh, we are made. Made, in other words, by God, and made for God. So again, it's in the image of a triune God that we are made. Not a solitary a lonely, individualistic God, but a triune God at the very core of our being. We are made in His image. And so it's important if we are made in His image to know Him. And as John Jesus prays there, that it is eternal life to know Him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So not at the peripheral edges of our being, Are we made in God's image, but at the very core of our being, we're not only made in His image, but we are made for Him, to be in relationship with Him, to worship Him, to walk with Him. We were made to be towards God, to face God, to love God, to be in willing obedience and service of God. That is why we were made. And it's the root of every single thing that is wrong in our life when we are turned away from Him. It's the root of every single sin and the mystery of sin that has entered into the world. Uh, We leave this evening. But it's being turned away from God rather than turned towards Him. It is the root, core, trouble and problem of every single uh, problem in this universe so that we exist today as a fallen world in the absurd reality of a twisted life apart from God, turned away from God with all the undoubted ugliness that that must display because we were made for Him, made by Him, for Him. And yet sin has, and Satan so powerfully in our own rebellion is so... Uh, strongly turned us away from God, leaving us in that place of ugliness and um, horror and darkness spiritually. What amazes me in the light of that is how we can still love at all when as a, a humanity we have turned our back on the God of love and how there is so much beauty left in this world recognizing, of course, it's non-redemptive uh, in its beauty, but isn't it amazing in His patience and His grace that God has left so much love and there's so much natural goodness and things to be admired in this world. And His patience as He has left tokens, as signs of who He is, calling us back to Himself. And yet so often we still... S- dr- are driven to live in the absurd reality of, of godlessness, away, turned away from His love and all that His love is. So are made by God, for God, and made like God, of course, in His image, in the image of this triune God, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. No, you know, you and me, Trinity, oh, well, that's the Trinity, that's doctrine, that's deep, it's not any relevance in my life. Nonsense. Of course it has course as every atom of god's word and god's truth and the theology of god the revelation of god is relevance for our day-to-day lives we're made in his image made the image of a triune god so there's equality within humanity just as there's equality within the godhead father son and spirit there's equality within humanity we're all equal there's individuality just as there is within the Godhead. Gloriously so. We're all individuals. We're all different. The beauty of God in his creation has made us individual. He's made us different. He's made each one of us unlike and yet in many ways like one another. But that's interesting because again, the horror of sin is stereotyping. Sin is what makes everything gray. Not God, not religion, not Christ. It's sin that makes everyone like everyone else. It's sin that makes us want everyone else to be like me. Because we think we're the center of our universe, not God. And that's what sin does. It's Henry Fordism, isn't it? He said it didn't matter what kind of color your car was as long as it was black. But that is the reality of living without God. Is Not individuality. But is a grey uniformity of a back turned against the one who loves us. And it also means community, doesn't it? There's this amazing reality of being made in the image of God. A God of community. A God in fellowship with himself through the three persons of the Trinity. And we are made for each other. It is not good for man to be alone, God said at the very beginning. Not good for Adam to be a solitary being. It's good for him to be in in community. Made in God's image. Male and female He made them. Made in God's image. Family, community, fellowship, friendship. Made for sharing. Made for each other. It is a reflection of God and the Trinity of God. So that division and mistrust and isolationism and solitary living moves us away from this God of love. So we see Him in creation and also in salvation, of course. We see the Trinity in its most glorious revelation. In fact, it really isn't revealed in any sort of formal and clear sense until... Uh, the New Testament until the salvation uh, of God is um, revealed. So that we are reunited with God through Christ. This is where the extent of the Trinitarian love of God is outward looking. It's not an inward selfish love. It's outward looking. It's looking to embrace His fallen and broken people and bring them back. He reaches out in His Trinitarian love across the abyss of our own sin and reaches out through the cross. That is His planned love. Purposed love. Buying back love. Executed by Him to perfection. The costly love of God. The cup that Christ was willing to drink. The wrath of the Father poured out. The guidance of the Spirit that we've been looking at also within uh, that salvation. Entirely within the Trinity our salvation is worked out. Have you ever considered that? The massive energy involved within the Trinity to both work out, to plan, work out, and to execute our salvation, the energy that is involved within God, with no input from ourselves other than crucify Him. The Trinity impacted massively through the Incarnation. And mysteriously, if I can say this, mysteriously ruptured in the cry of forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken Glorified in the resurrection and the ascension. Within the Trinity, our salvation worked out. Our salvation presented the Son presenting a finished work to the Father and a people to the Father. Through Christ, the Spirit sent into our hearts so that we are, we are breathed into with Trinitarian life. That we have the Spirit of God in our hearts. And we are embraced, as it were, into the Trinity. In a most mysterious and loving way. That all of them may be one, Jesus says in verse 21. Just as you are in me and I am in you. We are one in the same way that God is uh, one uh, with Christ in this way. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They may also be in us. There's this amazing reality for the Christian that we are in God within fellowshipping, within this great trinity. Marvellous truth. So that we can know joy and fellowship and obedience and worship. And we've made our Christianity so passé, so yesterday, so ordinary, so plain, so well, I'm a Christian. And yet it is so glorious that we have been united into Christ in this way. But not only um, are we reunited to God through Christ, but we are powerfully united to each other. And that has Trinitarian implications. I and them, and you and me, may they be brought, verse 23, to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this God of love who has sent his Son. in whom His Spirit dwells in His people. And the mark of that is that we have a united love, and the world sees that. We have the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwells every believer. We have the same direction because of that, the same desires to a greater or lesser degree, the same Lord, the same calling. We're part of the same body, so there's this great unity, And there's this great diversity. There's this great commonality as as, as well as individuality. But we are given one another and the Spirit dwells each of us as Christians. And we are to, through that, express God's love to each other. We are to share a sense of security, of forgiveness, fellowship, patience. And God says, this is absolutely it's as crucial as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one God. Because he says, what is it that the world first sees in Christians? What do you think it should be that the world first sees in you as a Christian and in your Christian relationships with others? Should it be your morality? Should it be your protest? Should it be your orthodoxy? Well, Jesus says no. The first thing that he wants the world to see in our lives as Christians is that we are united in love. Because then they will see the love the Father has for the Son. Have you ever thought of evangelism in these terms? Ever? Have you ever thought of evangelism in Trinitarian terms? Because he says that. That passage, the bit that we read there in verse 23. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So that when unbelievers see how much we love each other, they will begin to understand that God is love and that God in love, not in cosmic child abuse that we're told today, but in love sent His Son in order to be our Savior. How many people have you ever met who are not Christians, when they are asked, what do you think uh, a Christian is? will say they are people who love one another because Christ first loved them. It's quite theological, isn't it? I wonder how many think of the glorious love of God when they think of the way Christians are united and love one another. I would argue and remain at the bottom of the pile of guilt within this that most people think, when they think Christians, they think division, fighting, arguing, separation, pride, going our own way. They can't even agree with each other. That is more often the response, rightly or wrongly, that people will have. And maybe we need a a real revolution of our understanding of evangelism. And when we see it in these terms, rather than formulaic or ritualistic or um, programmable evangelism, see it more in terms of our core love for each other. Now, rightly or wrongly, and uh, we recognise the massive amount that we have to do, and the, the, the failure that we often are as Christians. But when people talk about maybe this congregation or other congregations, and I want more, most to hear from them is that is a warm congregation. They evidently love each other with Christ's love. Because that reflects this prayer. And it reflects this truth. And it reflects the Trinity of God. And we do need to repent towards that. Undoubtedly, as individuals. And uh, congregationally, always. But that is God. And why is it important? Because it's eternal life. Now this is eternal life that you may know Him, the only true God. We want to know the only true God. This is Trinitarian God. And it has massive implications on our understanding of Him, Him in relation to us, and us in relationship to each other. And that is eternal life. It's eternal life to know God. Please remember that. Amén.